Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning. It's Black Friday, November 24th. Israel has been at war for 49 days. I'm Jonathan Shanzer, Senior Vice President for Research at FDD, and welcome back to the FDD Morning Brief. You've probably got a tryptophan hangover, so don't even bother trying to read everything that happened yesterday or this morning. We do that for you. We're policy wonks with insomnia. We get up early every day. We read all the news that happened overnight, so you don't have to. So tell your friends, tell your in-laws who stayed over last night in your guest room. FDD's Morning Brief starts your day three days a week with all the foreign policy uh, news you need in just 20 minutes. This morning, I'll be briefed. Uh, I'll be joined by Amir Eshel. He'll be briefing us. He's the former Director General of Israel's Ministry of Defense. But before that, here's what we are tracking. Today is ceasefire day. Israel and Hamas agreed to halt hostilities temporarily. In a half hour, Hamas is slated to release 13 Israeli hostages. There could be 50 hostages released in total if all parties involved stick to the plan. Israel has allowed trucks into Gaza carrying fuel, gas, and humanitarian goods. It is also transferring 39 prisoners today as well. And there's another hostage release set to happen. Thailand went directly to the regime in Iran to plead for Hamas to release 23 hostages that were taken on October 7th. Iran made it happen. This only reinforces what we already know. Iran calls the shots with the terror group that attacked Israel on October 7th. Finally, Israel has unearthed additional terror infrastructure beneath the Shifa hospital complex. These finds should put to rest any lingering doubts as to whether Hamas exploited the hospital for military purposes. But other public relations battles loom. Israel was operating in the vicinity of the Indonesian hospital yesterday. Israel says there are several other hospitals that Hamas has used as military command centers. We'll continue to watch these stories, but here are the top three stories that we're tracking today. Headline one, a ceasefire is now in force. Hamas and Israel will take the next few days to regroup in preparation for the next phase of battle. Here's what we know. uh, 13 hostages, children, women, and elderly Israelis are set to be released in less than a half hour. After nearly 50 days of intense anxiety, Israelis are anticipating some relief, even though more than 200 hostages will remain in Hamas custody. But that relief could soon be mixed with dread as Hamas begins to transfer rockets and other weaponry out of its tunnels in preparation for the next phase of the war. Hamas will use the fuel arriving in Gaza to pump electricity and oxygen into its commando tunnels. In short, there is little doubt that the battles awaiting Israel in in central and southern Gaza will be tougher than the fierce fighting we have already seen in northern Gaza over the last few weeks. So now what? It's an open question as to whether this ceasefire ultimately benefits Hamas or if the pause has negligible value. But the determination in Israel to destroy Hamas is unwavering. Watching the Israeli media every day, I see no sign that international pressure or stiffer Hamas defenses will deter the IDF. This is a fight to the finish, folks. Israeli defense minister said yesterday that the war in Gaza could take at least two more months. That's a low-end estimate from what I have heard. Headline two, With this hostage deal, the Qataris have become major players on the world stage, but that may not redound to Doha's advantage. Here's what we know. 
After a 24-hour delay in the implementation of the ceasefire, a Qatari foreign ministry spokesman announced the terms of the deal yesterday live on television. 10 million Israelis were hanging on to his every word. The head of the Mossad visited the Gulf nation to ensure that the terms of the agreement were understood by all sides. Hamas leaders were in the country at the time. So was Iran's foreign minister. So now what? The Gulf Emirate will undoubtedly attempt to take a victory lap here. But the fact is, Qatar is a financial patron of Hamas. It is also an external headquarters for the group. That means Qatar is a big part of the problem. And while we may soon see the release of 50 Israelis, Qatar failed to free them all. In fact, for 48 days, it failed to free any of them. Bottom line, Qatar has for too long played the role of arsonist and firefighter in the Middle East. This is a country that hosts the sprawling American airbase, but it is also a country that hosts Hamas, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and more. Members of Congress and even White House officials have started to articulate the need to revise our policy as it relates to this country that can only be described as a frenemy. And finally, the third headline, Hezbollah attacked Israel 48 times yesterday by one count. That is probably the largest number of attacks we've seen since the Iran-backed terror group began attacking Israel on October 8th. Here's what we know. Israel has scored a number of direct hits against fighters from Hezbollah's elite Radwan group. The group has acknowledged that at least 85 of its fighters have been killed since the war began, but that number is likely a lot higher. The group's media outlet, Al Mayadeen, continues to broadcast messages indicating that it will wage war against Israel so long as Israel wages war against Hamas. So now what? With a ceasefire now in effect, it remains to be seen whether Hezbollah continues to fight. If it does, in the absence of hostilities in the South, a serious escalation is possible. Israel appears to be jamming GPS in the north of the country to prevent the group from firing lethal precision-guided munitions, or PGMs. But the group has an estimated 200,000 unguided rockets in its arsenal. The United States seeks to prevent them from being deployed in a major conflict on Israel's northern border. We'll see if the group abides. Those are your headlines. I'm now pleased to welcome former Director General of the Israeli Minister, Ministry of Defense, Amir Eshel, to discuss the latest out of Israel on a very busy day. Amir is an adjunct fellow at FTD. He is a former combat a aviator who retired with the, man with the rank of Major General. Welcome, Amir. Good morning. Us. Great to see you again. Uh, I'd like to ask you if you could just dive right in and talk to us a little bit about what you're hearing about the hostage situation as we draw close to that deadline. The current status is the, uh, the, the hostages, 13 hostages, will land in Israel at 6 p.m. Israel's time, which is 11 a.m. your time. Um, and uh, they will come to an, uh, the southern Israeli um Air Force Base, they will be welcomed by medical uh, uh, staff. They will uh, initially uh, be checked, will be checked, and then they will, will be sent to the uh, hospital, hospitals in the south, in the center of Israel. They will meet their families, uh, the ones who still um, have relatives. Um, Maybe not from the first degree, but they, they will meet their families in the hospitals. Um, so that is what it what is planned. They will be flown from 
probably Egypt by the Israeli Air Force uh, utility helicopters to the Air Force base and then to the hospitals um, to the new chapter in their life. Okay, well, let me ask you this. What happens next when this ceasefire ends? What does the war with Hamas look like? We've obviously seen some fierce fighting in the north part of the country, and Israel has started to strike in the south, Khan Yunus in particular. We saw some action there yesterday. How do you see this battle playing out once hostilities resume again? This has been very clear from the start from Israel's senior leadership that this is not the end. This is just a pause, and things will resume very shortly. I think it will be a we will face a dilemma, and we'll have to address that relate to additional uh, um, uh, additional packages of of hostages that will be uh, offered by Hamas. So, to your question, John, is all right after that chapter. After the chapter, I think we will reach probably an, an, an demands, Hamas demands that we won't be able to address. And that will have a lot of impact, will be a lot of impact about the, the rest of the hostages, many of the soldiers, male and female, that are in the hands of Hamas. But let's assume that we are talking right now about 50 hostages and probably 20 additional that Hamas is right now busy uh, finding them. And the next chapter, the dilemma is, is, there are two options. One is to deepen the Israeli operation in the northern part of Gaza, or to move forward. Forward, um, I'm sorry, forward southwards. Um, and southwards means other center of gravity in some of the refugee camps in the center of the Gaza Strip, Khan Yunus, which we believe that probably the leadership of Hamas is, is staying there. And of course, there is a Rafa, whatever. The dilemmas that go, the, the, the major dilemma that goes with that is that all of those Palestinians that left the northern part moved to the southern part. And we should be take care, we should take care about how are we going to uh, protect their lives and, and, and move them to uh, remote areas? And there are remote areas along the seashore, in the west, also in the uh, southeast, uh, and, and, and to divide between them and uh, Hamas leadership and Hamas uh, uh, activists. So I believe we're going to move southward. There's no question about it because half of Hamas brigades and fighters and, of course, the leadership is there. And uh, we, we Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we've heard about Mohammed Daif likely being in Khan Yunus. We've heard about uh, Yahya Sinwar likely being in Khan Yunus as well, perhaps others. Uh, so, yeah, it certainly seems that uh, heading south is uh, on the docket for Israel. Of course, Hamas knows this, and one has to imagine that they are preparing uh, for a tougher battle. A, a quick question for you. You and I spoke earlier uh, about what motivates Hamas to uh, make this trade. You indicated that uh, there is a burden 
involved in taking care of some of these younger hostages. Could you just explain that for just a moment? I believe that Hamas uh, uh, was willing to, um, um, to free those hostages uh, because the young ones, from 10-month-old babies to three-year-olds, girls and, and, and uh, boys, and, and also quite younger, quite young ages, um, to take care of those, you have to be very cautious. You have to feed them. You have to take care of them. Uh, they are alone without their parents. And, and I think that that was a motive or incentive, or not incentive, motive uh, for Hamas to free those. Besides, it might be considered as a kind of a goodwill, whatever uh, action by, by the international community. But mainly, I believe that taking care of them took a lot of effort from Hamas and, and they have enough other hostages that, they, uh, that can uh, um, fulfill their ambitions to free the prisoners and do other things. So I think that the first 50 and in the first 50, these are not the numbers of all the kids that are in Gaza Strip. We have to remember that. So maybe in the additional 20, we can see all of them coming back, I hope. And if we see those other 20, that would obviously extend the ceasefire by another two days. So that's one to watch. Let yeah. me ask you, Amir, if we could turn to the north. There was a lot of action yesterday. We saw actually uh, a number of uh, Israeli strikes and respond to a significant escalation uh, in terms of Hezbollah attacks on Israel. Do you expect Hezbollah to stay quiet during this ceasefire? Uh, and how do you see things playing out once fighting resumes? Well, I think Nasrallah, the, the leader of Hezbollah and his uh, um, sponsors in Iran, they haven't uh, changed their strategy and they are willing to fight to, until the last drop of blood of Hamas. They actually um, limit, actually they have limited themselves uh, and this is kind of, uh, there are kind of rules of engagement that both sides are trying to follow, even though we made those a bit upper um, and in the last uh, um, strike dealing with Radwan uh, commanders, I think the um, uh, the response for that was the 48 rockets yesterday. But I don't see right now any intention for Hezbollah to change their uh, strategy. They don't want to uh, to be dragged to full-scale war. Um, we might do that, but them, they don't. And I think that during the ceasefire, there's a good chance that they won't participate during the ceasefire. And we see later if the fighting will resume. So I believe they will continue uh, to, to, to take part of that, encouraging uh, Hamas activists in Lebanon, also themselves. But up to now, it is framed in their strategy. 
Last question for you here. We've heard a lot about, obviously, what's going on in Gaza, um, and we're watching fronts out of Yemen and uh, Iraq and Syria. But the real challenge, I think, for Israel is really it's, it's, it's two major problems. Even Gaza can be handled. The big one is, of course, Hezbollah because of the arsenal that they have, and then the Iranian regime itself. What is Israel's long-term view of the battles that await. This is not going to be a short-term problem, is it? It's going to be a long-term, and you're right. Look, right now, there is a war uh, in different intensities between the um, specific fronts by three proxies, more than three, four proxies of Iran. Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis in Yemen, and also the militias mainly in Iraq right now. In Syria, they're probably quite cautious. But who is behind that? Iran. And Iran should be addressed. Of course, militarily, this is the last resort. But those guys actually are behind the preparations, the equipment, the capabilities, maybe even the motivation of the proxies to act. And I think that Iran shouldn't be put aside and, and uh, enjoy safe haven uh, because Iran has to pay for its deeds. So I don't see, and I don't want to talk about what to do, but I think that that is not just an Israeli uh, challenge. It's broader than that. And we should not, we shouldn't forget who is behind all of those terrorist activities, uh, and all those bad doings, um, Iran should be punished. And there are a lot of ways to do that, not just militarily. Understood. Well, we're going to leave it there. I want to thank you, Amir Eshel, for joining us today. Thank you very much, John. Okay, here are some other stories FTD is following closely today. My colleague Sinan Jidi is watching reports that two Turkish nationals were killed in an Israeli airstrike in Lebanon yesterday. We know that multiple terrorist groups operate freely in the country, which is rapidly becoming a failed state. But this is the first time that Turks have been reported killed in clashes with Israel since the flotilla of 2010. Uh, were these Turkish nationals fighting with Hamas, Hezbollah? Were they military advisors? More information is needed here. The Swiss government has banned Hamas. The government of Germany has raided 13 different sites across the country accused of Hamas activity. The new prime minister-elect in the Netherlands is fiercely anti-Hamas. At the same time, a cemetery was defaced today in Belgium, a Jewish cemetery. The BBC is still spouting anti-Israel rhetoric and attacks on Jews have been reported in France. At FTD, we're watching a battle for the soul of Europe. How this one plays out is anyone's guess. And finally, FDD's Anthony Ruggiero is tracking a pneumonia outbreak in China. The World Health Organization made a special request for clinical information from Beijing. You'll recall that the WHO sat on its hands for months with the outbreak of the coronavirus, and the WHO also ran interference for the Chinese Communist Party when it was trying to cover things up. You may also recall that the WHO has been especially critical of Israel in recent weeks for operating in and around Gaza hospitals, 
even as Israel has shared irrefutable evidence that Hamas used these hospitals for military purposes. You can read about these and other major news stories we track on our website, fdd.org. You can follow our work on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, at FDD. And if you like our work, please do make a contribution at fdd.org invest. The first tranche of hostages is set to be released in a matter of minutes. My guest on Monday will be Israeli journalist Barak Ravid from Axios. We'll have a lot to talk about. Until then, I'm Jonathan Shanzer, signing off for FDD.